Well, it is a delight and a privilege to be back with you this morning. I have missed your smiling faces so much, and I've got one thing to say. Google Translate is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. I've actually been in other countries since I've been with you last and um, have returned. Um, Many of you know that Will is in the military, and some of you have family that's in the military, so you know what that life is about. Um, He spent some time in Alaska, Iraq, back to Alaska, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, to Germany, and uh, was landed there about two years ago. And um, he actually had filed um, uh, transition out papers, and they denied those papers. And as an officer, you don't just get to leave the Army when you want to. And so he's a captain, and so uh, that presented some unique challenges, and it felt like it was just the right time to go over and spend some time with Will as we just talk about the future and God's plan. And I'm so glad I got to do that. Um, He's doing great, and I think things were on the upswing by the time I got out of there. Uh, But he's doing great. He's single. He's 28. And uh, somehow we got that apartment cleaned up in a few days. We just teamed up on it, and he's so busy, 12-hour days. He has hardly any time to, to do the routine things of life, um, but he has a nice place there in Grafenvere, and um, we uh, were able to, to accomplish a lot. I feel like I got to know him again. Um, I haven't really spent substantial time with him for the last five or six years, and so I feel like I covered like five or six years' worth of just life in about eight or nine days. And so it was really just a blessing, and I'm so grateful. Um, sometimes you wonder what, what takes hold, what gets traction in a person's life, and, and what kind of gets discarded. And I think a lot of the good things that you invested in him with, some of you coached him and, and um, were friends with him and family friends, and you've invested in him, and that means so much to me, and he's never got away from it. God is good. It is hard to believe that I was going 550 miles an hour over the Atlantic Ocean. I paid attention when they said where you could find the life, the life vest and the, the little thing underneath the seat, okay, you grab what you're sitting on, turns into a flotation device, I learned. And so Will was no encouragement at all. He told me, hey, if that thing goes down, you're probably going to die of hypothermia. <laughs> Thank you, Will, for the encouragement. I'll swim as long as I can, okay. But he doesn't, he, he just tells you like he sees it. So, but I survived. We did not crash. Praise God. And um, got there, and he picked me up from Munich. I have been through concentration camps. I have been through Christmas markets throughout the area. Uh, and you would not believe how many crucifixes are just are stuck and placed here and there. I, I even ran some of the bike trails, vast bike, ne- bike network with lots of signage. And even on those runs, random places in a remote area, you'll see a little crucifix on a pole that's a little, just a little emblem there, an icon of, of a life that was lived. And so Germany has a witness. I don't care where they are in their worldview and where they are in their government and their politics, they have a witness. It's built right into the architecture and the, uh, and the history of those little towns uh, throughout, that, throughout Europe, really, but especially in Germany. They hear the chimes from the belfries from the small towns to chime out the Christmas carols that you sing and I sing. They sing the same ones. And I think Silent Night actually had its origins in Germany. And uh, so it's really interesting that God has given a witness to that culture and that group of people. 
and it was a delight even to share a, a little bit about biblical worldview um, with people that I, I got to share with. One lady uh, from Czech Republic, and we got to talk a little bit about worldview. And it's interesting, Will's 28, he's single, and it's interesting, it's like, like how do you navigate that part of your life and that world? And so I got to recycle the worldview. This is how you get to the bottom, the bottom line issue. Where'd we come from? What went wrong? What, God, what is God doing to fix it? If there is a God, what's he doing to fix it? And of course we know there is. And then how does it all resolve eventually? If you can't check up those things, you wanna back up and rethink your dating scene, right? Who you're dating and what their worldview is because that's gonna take you somewhere. So we even got to recycle it that way. So God has been good and he's prepared, uh, just prepared me for the visit even though I felt ill-prepared from a language standpoint. Really, uh, just so ill-prepared. Uh, there's a reason why they put pictures on groceries at the German grocery store, all right? Because I have no idea what it says, but I can tell that looks like hamburger, that looks like an avocado, so on and so forth, and you can, and that looks like milk, okay? I can work that out. And, um, and I also learned that they don't refrigerate their eggs in Germany. That was different. I just learned that if you don't wash your egg, you can, they can actually last a lot longer that way without having to be refrigerated. So I just learned that, Ben Mead taught me that this morning. So that's why they do that, I guess, in, in that part of the world. He learned to eat tartar, raw meat. That's where I draw the line, okay? No raw meat, all right? Well done is my favorite phrase when it comes to meat. Uh, but uh, he's kind of gone down that path a little. So. Uh, We'll see if he survives the ringworm and all the other things that's probably living and rotating around in his body. But, um, but God is good, and uh, he sees us through it, and we're just trusting him to continue to give guidance and direction uh, in the days ahead. Um, it is so good to be home. It's six hours ahead of us over there. You... you, you uh, jump six hours ahead, you lose six hours coming back, and so I've had a little jet lag trying to figure out what, it, what you know, you get up at 3.30 in the morning, you're ready to go, and uh, we had to deal with some of that, but, um, but God has been in the whole process, the whole trip. I got out just in time uh, on the flight, and uh, Munich was closed down three days before I got there, so I was able to fly in after the storm, and was able to miss the storm here. You survived, praise God, and then I was able to get back okay and the Camry, the 2002 Camry started at the airport, wonder of wonders, when I got back. So uh, we, we survived it. I was thinking about Ecclesiastes, though, and uh, about Will's life, about my life. And to be honest with you, not only has Will has some struggles in terms of just adjusting to his future, he's probably going to be in the military now for the next two years to the end of 2024, whether he wants to be or not. And uh, he's rotated back in the command queue, which means he'll be able to apply for other uh, commands and things and other possibilities and leadership uh, possibilities within the Army. And I was thinking about my own life, and uh, I have been struggling with something probably for the last year or a little more. I'm not going to tell you what that has been, but it's been quite a battle for me. But the Lord has been good, and through visit, that visit, and some other things, I feel like I'm kind of popping out on the other side of this thing. And I'll tell you why. 
Now, I'll tell you, when you go through a struggle, and you all have had struggles, we all have them, and they come to us in different ways. And when you have struggles, you try to develop, you know, you, you, you kind of develop these coping mechanisms for surviving, right? Uh, when I have struggles, if I go on a run, a good hard run, that helps me offload some of the stress, and that helps some. Uh, peanut butter cookies help an awful lot in struggles. Two or three of them with a tall glass of milk helps me with my struggles, okay? Reading a good book helps me with, with my struggles. Talking to some of you and seeing your smiling face helps me with some of my struggles, all right? But I'm going to tell you what, and, and of course, a lot of other things roll into God guide me and lead me and help me to pop out on the other side of this thing and, and be who you want me to be because it's a struggle. It's emotional struggle. It's relational struggle. It's just struggle. Okay, it's labor. Uh, and there's lots of question marks, right? We all have these places in life. I'll tell you what helped pop me out on the other side of this, and I'm still there in terms of just we all going to have, there's a season for everything. We got to find meaning in, in the question marks of life, right? But I'll tell you what popped me out on the other side of this thing, and that's this right here, the sovereignty of God. God is in control, and the sovereignty of God teaches that his plan will not be thwarted, that he works through, in and through, human free will decisions, but he has an overarching plan, and he's going to work that plan and that plan will not be defeated. The sovereignty of God, and let me say it this way, the sovereignty of God is our comfort. It is not our excuse. All right? Well, you say, well, God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's going to accomplish his purposes. And so why should I even worry about what I eat or the exercise I exercise or the decisions I make or the life I live or what I give myself to? right? What it, whatever will be, will be. Who, he's in control. It's his plan. It's going to happen, what, whatever I do or don't do. See, we use the sovereignty of God as an excuse. And so we check out of this interaction with God where we're, prayer is an invitation for us to relate to God. It is an invita invitation for us to walk with God. It is an invitation for us to reshape a better and, and preferable future through prayer and, and, and laboring with God and working in conversation with God to shape a better life. That's what prayer is. It's our invitation to do that with God. But the, but the sovereignty of God is our comfort. It is not our excuse. It brings us comfort. It brings us peace to know that God's got this. And you've heard that cliche so many times in your life. But it really is true, and it's the thing that brings me the most comfort, that God is sovereign. He's sovereign. A.W. Tozer, he's a theologian from many years ago. I have several of his paperback books on my shelf. And he explains the sovereignty of God and the free will of man like this. He says, if you can picture an ocean liner, and it's full of people, and this ocean liner is going from port, one port, port A, to port B. And that's the plan. 
And so that's the direction. And he says, on this ocean liner, there are people and there are all kinds of things happening, kind of like a cruise ship. You've got people eating, you've got people swimming in the pool, um, you've got people being entertained by the bands, um, you've got people running around on the track on the big cruise ships. I mean, things are really big, right? You've got all kinds of free will decisions happening on that cruise ship. And there's lots of things going on. But at that same time, that whole ship is still headed from port A to port B. Okay? And he says, that's the sovereignty of God at work and the free will of man. Okay, we make decisions. There's lots of things happening, lots of things that impact a lot of other things in our life, right? And that's human free will. And we make those decisions. But there are a few broad purposes that God has committed himself to that he will accomplish whether, no matter what you and I do. And that's his broad purposes. That's his sovereign rule his sovereign plan, okay? And so when we come back to this idea of the sovereignty of God, it brings us comfort through our struggles. The sovereignty of God is your comfort. It's not your excuse. The sovereignty of God is our comfort. It's not our excuse. Why do I say that? We've been talking in this series about finding meaning in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is like a a, a desert of despair, this book is. And when you work your way through it, you begin to realize how desperate this guy really was. He brings us up right to the brink. Solomon brings us up to the brink of hopelessness, and then he'll just interject some little phrase or some little remark that reminds us that there's hope and there's an island of hope in all of the despair. And that's exactly what he does in, uh, in this book. And when we look at slide number three, if you would for me. In fact, we're just going to look at just the simple truth of God's sovereignty, okay? Solomon says, I apply my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. Under the heavens, okay? So many times we live life without a God-oriented view of life. And we're, we, we ignore God and forget God. So that's life under the heavens, according to Solomon. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Okay, so that's the first time that God is mentioned in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now watch what he does. Go to the next slide, if you would, for me. Notice, notice the, the phrases of sovereignty. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. God is sovereign. Next slide. We're going to see it again in, in chapter 3. I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done. He is sovereign. He rules over all from beginning to end. Next slide. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of the life God has given them, for this is their lot, the days that God has given them. Next slide. Chapter 6, I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing, their hearts desire. But God does not grant them this ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless. It's a grievous evil. 
It's like you have all this food to eat and then you have no appetite to want it. Um, you have all these beds to sleep in, but you have no sleep, okay? And this is kind of what he's alluding to. Now go to the next slide. And we see it here. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this, God has made the one as well as the other. Next slide. I'm developing the theme of God's sovereignty. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Their joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the, of the life God has given them under the sun. Next slide. And so go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do in terms of he's given these gifts of pleasure and joy and he's approved, he's, these are God-given gifts for each of us to find a, a bit of joy in life, okay? So he says here in chapter nine that God has already approved, God is sovereign. He's in control, and this is his comfort. So what Ecclesiastes is going to do, he's, all, he's going to take us through some dark, dark places, and he has already in some ways. But he's basically saying to you, listen, you're, you're going to have some things, some struggles in life. There's going to be some things that you can't quite understand. Life is going to feel meaningless at times, but... I'm, God is in control and he's sovereign and we can draw and drive comfort from his sovereignty. In fact, as you just, we just kind of surveyed those verses and we realize that there are really three simple reasons why um, we should always surrender to the Lord's way and to his sovereignty. And I think that he alludes to them here. But the first thing here is, God's sovereignty relieves us from anxiety, okay? And by knowing that he is sovereign, we can relax. And this is one of Solomon's key points as, he, as we just did a survey of those passages, okay? And we're gonna deal more in depth with some of those verses when we get there. But the, he's, I want you to see that this is the thing that sustains him. It's the sovereignty of God that he's working even when it doesn't seem like he's working. He is working and he's working in a way that he's not always visible, but he's working and he's orchestrating and he's planning and he's bringing things together. If you're in the army, you wanna get out and it doesn't happen, what do you do? We, we trust in the, the sovereignty of God. We draw and drive comfort in the sovereignty of God. And we, and we uh, trust him to be at work and to bring details together, to bring meetings together, relationships together, experiences together in our life at just the right time when we're ready for it to help us to take the next step he wants us to take. God's sovereignty relieves us from anxiety. You know, uh, as we survey uh, just the many uh, notes of encouragement that I think put our worries to rest in the Bible. And there's so many. In fact, I'm reminded of the, of the song, 10,000 Reasons. And we sing the song about 10,000 reasons to give praise to God, to bless his name. And I think we could probably write a song about 10,000 worries. And we call it, well, there's just all kinds of worries that each of us carry with us. And uh, 
I can't, I can't eliminate all 10,000 worries, but I think there's like at least 10 of them that we can eliminate here this morning that we can put these worries to rest. And I think what we, what we see is that, number one, you're, uh, that you're just at one accident of 8 billion random people in the world. Uh, and I just have to say to that, you're not the random result of your parents just uh, happen to come together. Rather, God has determined to create you before the foundation of the world. And Ephesians 1.4 tells us that. So God has created you and you're not just an accident. Number two, your life has no purpose or meaning. That's a worry, all right? And not only did God create you specifically and on purpose, but he's designed you with features and personality and temperament temperament and giftings and even your location where you are and the era of time in which you live psalm 139 act 17 it all ta- it points to the fact that you've not not only have you been created by god but your life has purpose and meaning he has something for you to do and the third thing that you're going to miss god's will for your life that's another worry that people have you can make your plans but the lord determines your steps proverbs 16 tells us and those steps are aligned for the purpose he made you for. And so this morning, you're not just an one accident in eight billion random people. Um, your life is not just a meaningless life. Um, you're, and, you're, and you're not going to miss God's will for your life as easy as you think you are because God is sovereign and he works. And he even works through the decisions that we make, even the bad decisions that we make. What amazes me is not that the evil that we do in life, it's the good that comes from the evil that we do in life because God is sovereign and he, he uses even our mess ups to leverage things back toward his purposes and plans for our life. That's what sovereignty is. And we can take great comfort in that. Well, I'm gonna miss God's will for my life. Well, like I said, you can make your plans, but the Lord determines your steps. And he's aligned, those steps are aligned for the purpose he made you for. And he's not easily defeated. He works and he persists to woo and draw us into his will and plan. So you're not just one accident of eight billion random people. Your life has meaning and purpose. You're you're not easily going to miss God's will for your life because he's sovereign and he works in ways that you can't imagine, even the bad decisions you make. And, And a lot of people have the worry that you're going to lose God's grace because you've messed up. And for those in Christ Jesus, it's beautiful because we can endure to the end through him. And Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So Christ his love and his atonement avails for you. His sacrifice avails for you. And you're not going to lose God's grace because you've messed up. He, that's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. A lot of people have the worry that your loved one has gone too far beyond God's redemption. And the, and the Bible teaches us nobody is beyond God's grace. Je- Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. A lot of people have the worry that the darkness in the world will ultimately prevail. And the Bible so clearly tells us that Jesus will end all suffering, sin, death, and darkness, and darkness in the world will never overcome the light. That's John 1, 5, Revelation 21. The light wins. 
10,000 reasons, 10,000 worries. Can't deal with all the worries, but we can deal with some of them. You're not an accident. You're created by God. He has a purpose and meaning in your life, for your life. You're not going to miss God's will for your life as easy as you think you might. And you're going to lose, and you're not going to lose his grace because you've messed up. That's the gospel. And your loved one is not too far beyond God's redemption. And the darkness in the world will not ultimately prevail. And your suffering, another worry we have, that our suffering and our pain is sometimes so, seems so pointless. And the Lord uses suffering to grow our character. This is Romans 5, it's James 1. He teaches us to depend on him, 2 Corinthians 1. Joseph's story, Genesis 37 through 40, God always uses our suffering for good, for wise purposes that we don't always have an ability to figure out and to see the purposes why. I went through some of the concentration camps. I got to see where Diedrich Bonhoeffer spent his last moments of life. It reminded me of a lot of other things that I've read about the concentration camps over the years. And one of the things I thought of was Corey Ten Boom. And she talked a lot about the sovereignty of God. And uh, she would often in her presentations, she would have a, an, an embroidered crown and she would turn that piece of embroidery around and you could see strings going ever which direction in the piece of embroidery. And she said, so often our lives look like that. In, 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 when I spent time in a concentration camp, Ravensbrook and other places, she said, my life was like that. And it was difficult for us to figure out what purpose God could possibly have in all of this darkness. She had a little Bible that she smuggled in, and she noticed that the people were just spiritually desperate, and so she organized a little discussion group in a Bible study in a concentration camp. And, um, and the guards were always on the lookout for that kind of thing, and, and one night she and her sister were, they would always wrap up their day by giving thanks and so they would thank the Lord for the Bible and thank the Lord for their group that they were able to gather. And they would thank the Lord even for the lice and the fleas that had infested their barracks. And they wondered why and how the guards would leave their barracks alone all the time. And they could easily have these little mini church services in the evening time. And, and they discovered that the guards stay out of the, the, the barracks that they were housed in because it had fleas and and bed bugs, and the guards didn't want to get the fleas and bed bugs. And those fleas and bed bugs were the very shield God used to give them a little protective bubble for them to be able to come together to pray for one another and to discern what his will was going to be in all the mess of the Holocaust and the darkness. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense for so long, but then they saw it. And she, she would hold that piece of embroidery up and strings were going every which direction. And then she would, in about the end of that presentation, she would flip that piece of embroidery around and it would be a beautifully stitched golden crown. And she says, we see from one side of the tapestry, the strings going every which direction, but God sees from the other side. And he's stitching it, he's pulling things together. He, he's giving a certain color and, and a, certain, uh, a certain design to this thing. 
that we call our lives and he's working it in such a way because he's sovereign and he's working a plan and he wants us to be convinced that we're made by him we're not random accidents that there's meaning and purpose in life that we're not going to easily miss God's will for our life that God's grace is great and it prevails and it pursues and woos and that our loved ones are not too far beyond his redemption and that darkness is not going to win and that suffering and pain actually has purpose and meaning beyond what we can see Another worry I think that we have and that contributes to this meaninglessness that Solomon writes about in his book of Ecclesiastes. And we hear it a lot today that somehow the earth is going to drift off its orbit and it's going to be destroyed by a giant meteor or we're going to perish from climate change. And it's interesting how all that's worked. You know, it used to be global cooling, but it didn't cool enough. And so it was global warming, and it didn't warm up enough. So now we just call it climate change. It can go either direction. Climate change will be used to badger you into compliance in the days ahead, rest assured. A lot of things are going to be blamed on climate change, even the illnesses and things. And it's not a political statement this morning, but it's a reminder that God is over the fate of the planet, and nobody should lose sleep about the earth's annihilation. He's got it. He's sovereign. Be a good steward of the planet for sure, but God is sovereign. He's in control and will only fulfill the purposes that he has for it. And James tells us this, Corinthians, Psalms talks about that. Just so many things. God controls these things. Another worry I think that people have is that we're going to die before we're finished with the race that God's given us to run. You will not die a second sooner than the Lord intends. Live a life worthy of your calling. Run the race to win. And remember that time is short. Make your days count. And I think that's what these passages, this thematic thread that runs through the book of Ecclesiastes, I think it's what he's trying to show to us, that God is sovereign Enjoy the simple things of life. Don't worry and fret about these, all these reasons that plague us and that hound us. He's saying, when he talks about food and drink so many times in these passages, in this little thread that we just traced through, it implies that you have people in your life that you're doing life with others and that you're enjoying the simple things of life and that you're, you're surrendering to his sovereignty and his plan and you're resting in that and you don't have to struggle with this. Uh, and I think a final, a final worry that we have is that our prayers don't matter is another worry, that our prayers don't matter. And I would just remind you this morning that God knows everything we need before we ask. And yet we are instructed to pray, to interact with him, to shape a better future through prayer. And it's through his sovereign authority over all things that he, is, he is, ensures that there's nothing in life that he cannot do or accomplish because he is sovereign and we can pray with faith. Slide number 11, you saw this demonstrated just this week. We, perhaps you were watching the game but you got uh, the Bills and Bengals going head to head and you see the one uh, player, uh, Damar Hamlin, collapse on the field after a tackle. 
and he gets up, he makes the tackle, he gets up, and then you can just see he just goes backwards, he just collapses on the field, and because of some assistant trainer who was on top of it, shows up, gets on the field, does CPR, saves his life. He has another episode, his life is saved again at the hospital when he, after he arrives there. But I think what you saw in that moment when we were exposed and the players on the field realized that, you know what, this is beyond what we can do, anything that we can do anything about. And so they just hit their knees and they understood that there is a maker and a creator and he's personable and he's accessible and he is the only source of true hope and the only source of true help. And it's interesting because the, the injury of this and the gravity of it, it stripped away all the pretensions and smoke screens that we often have. And it was raw humanity in need of God. It was on full display. People are never more spiritually honest than when they're facing something like that. In fact, what we saw on ESPN a day or so later was amazing. Let's roll that. Um, football gave me everything, you know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football mm -hmm. as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers, and you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him, and I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say, like, we believe in prayer, and maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want to, it's just on my heart that I want to pray for It him. is. Damar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful. Respectfully. We will continue to cover this story. We'll continue to bring you all the updates that we have. And as usual, we'll see you tomorrow on NFL Live. I'll just reiterate how secondary football is in all of this. We are thinking and praying, as you've seen here, for DeMar Hamlin and his family and truly hoping for some better news. ESPN Live. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? God's grace. I think we all know there is a sovereign God. And when we're exposed like that, we don't know what else to do but look to him and turn to him. And that guy did it. And he did it on ESPN Live. And he prayed in, in God's name. It's incredible. God's sovereignty relieves us from anxiety. God's sovereignty brings us a measure of peace. Whatever your struggle this morning, you have to believe there's a God and he works his plan.
and you've got all kind of reasons to go on struggling. But there is no peace, there is no victory, there is no breaking out the other side of these things in life without an acknowledgement that God's sovereignty is our comfort. It's not our excuse. We do what we can and we come to him and we turn things over to him. God's sovereignty relieves us from anxiety. I think, I think the Ecclesiastes writer was trying to demonstrate that in these phrases that he would interject throughout his book. Don't forget, yeah, life gets pretty monotonous sometimes, but don't forget that there is a God and he's working a plan and we don't always recognize what that looks like or what that's gonna be, but he's working a plan. And Solomon, he had all these things in life. He had construction projects he thought would make him happy. He had multiple wives and girlfriends. He had stashes of gold. He had massive libraries. He had music. He did music concerts. He, he was entertained. He had exquisite foods and feasts. He, he built national alliances. You name it, he did it. But when he gets to the end of life, looking back on his life, he says, there's one thing that's, that I find comfort in and one thing that sustains me, and that is that God is sovereign and he's working his plan. And the picture that is presented in Ecclesiastes is that life can be endlessly frustrating. It can be puzzling at times. But God has given us these simple joys to enjoy, people to do life with, the simple things of life, eating and drinking, which implies companionship. They're all gifts to be enjoyed by a sovereign creator to break up the monotony of a, what seems like a meaningless life. And it's also an opportunity for us to walk with him, to serve him, to interact with him, to reshape a better future with him. God is at work even when it doesn't look like he's there, even when he appears he's not. You go to slide number 12 for me. I've been thinking about how really Solomon is on a happiness project and he's trying to figure out how he can be happy again. And it reminded me of a book I read a while back by Gretchen Rubin and she wrote a book called The Happiness Project. It was a New York Times bestseller about a decade ago. And she started out as a lawyer and she became a writer and she asked the question one day, is this it? in life. She thought, you know, I'm pretty happy. Um, she's married, she has kids, but she said, I wasn't appreciating my life very much. And she was afraid that she'd look back someday and say, what a wonderful life I've had. I only wish I'd realized it sooner. And she didn't want to have a moment like that. And so she says, I embarked on a happiness project. And, and, and she got on this mission of really appreciating loving life and seeing life and the beauty of life and the simple, the simple things of life. She read and she researched everybody. She read philosophers on how to be happy. She read novelists on how to be happy, psychologists, voices in popular culture. She got lots of insights from a lot of different people from a lot of different places because she wanted to figure out happiness and she wanted to do it in her everyday life. She said, I couldn't go to Walden Pond like Thoreau and just move away from everything in my life. I had responsibilities, but I wanted to be happy. And she said, eventually, long, the, the short of it, she does her own happiness project. And like Solomon years ago, she was her own little lab rat, her own guinea pig. 
And she said, basically, it was like the play, where I concluded on this, she says, it was like the play called The Blue Bird by Maurice Masterlink. And it's about two children who spend a year searching, for the, wor- searching the world for the blue bird of happiness, only to find the bird waiting for them when they finally returned home. Looking for the blue bird of happiness, she calls it. The playwriter terms it that. And she finally gets home and she realized all that, that she needed for happiness and a fulfilling life were right at home all, that, all the time. She did a lot of things to improve her happiness. She got more sleep. She eliminated clutter from her life. She made her husband a top priority, she said. She lightened up a little when it came to parenting. She was more playful. She decided to be a good friend to her friends. She made sure money was a good servant, not her master. She pursued her passion for reading. She did all these things. And there's one chapter in her book where she says, in her study of people on their journey of happiness, to try to find happiness and joy in life, she said everybody comes to a place in their journeys where they have a spiritual master and they have to surrender. And the, and the spiritual master helps them learn, helps, it steers your mind away from the trans, the, the, toward the transcendent and the timeless and the sovereign and the, and the uh, authority of God and the ruler of God in life. He who is over all. She came to a place in her life where she had to do that in order to find true happiness, true joy. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have a struggle and you're struggling trusting the timing of a sovereign God, a a master, a spiritual master in your life, trusting the timing for the seasons of your own life. Sometimes I think we criticize God and, and, and he's too late or he's too early or maybe in retrospect we discover that his agenda was better all along because a door was closed when we wanted it to open and we ended up going a different direction which turned out to be the right direction all along because God was working in our life in a sovereign, invisible way like that. And so sometimes we're in the army and we want to get out and God says no and we go a different direction and we get down the road a couple of years and we realize, "Uh uh-oh, he was there. I see it now. I didn't see it before, but I see it now. And maybe that's your life this morning. Maybe you're there. Maybe you got the threads of the tapestry all different directions. It's hard for you to make out what God is doing. And the Ecclesiastes writer says, hold in there, hang in there, hold steady. There comes a time when this thing gets flipped and a sovereign God shows you his plan. I read about a guy's friend from college who was supposed to be at the top of the World Trade Center on 9-11, 2001. But a double booking forced his company to relocate their meetings that day. His life's forever different because of that. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning, but there's a sovereign God, and, and the sovereignty of God is a comfort, not our excuse. Come to him, surrender to him. You need him to do life, to break through, and to uh, be able to enjoy this thing we call life that he's given to us. I sometimes think the happiness project is a misnomer because when I look in the Bible and I look at what God has to say to us, I think it's more of a holiness project than a happiness project. 
We want to be happy. We want to find joy. We want to find meaning in things. We want life to go well for us. We want to be able to enjoy the journey, and, and that's good, and that's all God-given gifts from God that we're to enjoy, and that's awesome. But I think sometimes we forget that God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. He's more concerned about our growth than our comfort. And, he, and we go through these times like Solomon went through. We go through these times because he wants to develop in us things, uh, character and other things, uh, take us in directions we wouldn't ordinarily go without him. So I don't, I don't know so much as a happiness project that we're on here this morning, but it's a holiness project. And, and with that in mind, we can trust a sovereign God because without him, everything is meaningless. But with him, it's a whole vast realm of possibilities that what he can do in and through your life, even through the bad decisions that you and I have made. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this group. And thank you for loving us and being with us through the difficult places in life. And thank you for just your mercies to us. Thank you for that sovereign ocean liner of your will and plan that you've got going in the world and governments and nations and people cannot thwart this sovereign plan that you have in place and that you're working and that things resolve eventually according to your timetable and schedule. And Father, if we didn't believe that, we wouldn't even get out of bed in the morning and we just stay under the covers, hunkered down if we didn't believe a good God was in control of what's happening in our world. We just can't get up in the mornings without that understanding and that belief and that trust. And so we thank you for being at work in our life. And we thank you for being bigger than our sin and your grace covering. And, and our sin cannot outrun your grace and that you stay after us and you pursue us and you are with us in our struggles. Praise God. And I ask and pray this morning if some of us here are struggling with your sovereign plans. We would surrender to you this morning. And we know, we know there's hope in you and that our, some of our biggest fears are laid to rest because of your sovereign work. And so this morning, we, we surrender to that. We trust you to work through the medical diagnoses, through the decisions of our superiors. We trust you to work through the setbacks and the accidents through sicknesses and other things that we have to deal with. We, we come to you, Lord, and we surrender to you this morning, and we need your grace. And we thank you for what you're doing in our life when we can't see it. Even when we can't see it, you're working. And we're trusting you to do that here this morning. So thank you this morning. You guide us, direct us, help us to live for you and your glory. We ask all these things in your name. Will you stand with me this morning? You've been a great group. Thank you for praying for me. As we get back into the swing of things, uh, we'll be sharing some more with you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 beginning next week. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day.